Welcome to High Cheese. It's Friday, March 10th, 2023. And we've got so much to talk about today. And I want to start with Tucker Carlson's J6 videos. And how telling are they? The Democrats and our institutions have been pushing a narrative that has been false. They're trying to make the American people believe that the riot that happened on J6, and I'm going to call it a riot. There were some people that rioted. They don't deserve to be sitting in jail today, but, you know, they did some things that were wrong. So let's call it a riot. But I want to make it clear that everyone that showed up to Congress that day wasn't a rioter. It was almost like there was a tale of two cities. One section of the Capitol, yeah, you had some guys that, you know, were getting out of hand. But there was another section of the Capitol where the cops were letting them in. It looked like other people were just strolling through Congress like it was a regular weekday. They were on a tour. Now, maybe they shouldn't have been there, but they weren't rioting. So I want to make that clear. It was only a small amount of people that were rioting. Most of the people that were in Congress that day, they weren't there to overthrow the government. Even the rioters weren't there to overthrow the government. How were they going to overthrow the government? Tell me, with what? A couple of guys with a spear? What kind of insurrection is that, according to the Democrats and the media and the Uniparty? So again, what kind of insurrection was that? You had grandmothers there strolling through Congress. And they're rioters? And they're insurrectionists? So I just want to make that clear. There were some people that got out of hand, but most people were taking a stroll through Congress. But these institutions, the Democrats, the media, trying to call this an insurrection, and they want to punish Trump voters. They want to punish their opponents in the process, and they want to use J6 as that. They had the hearings. They had the fake hearings trying to pin this on Trump, and in the process, they threw out a lot of lies, a lot of lies, and one of those lies has to do with the QAnon shaman. Remember him, the guy with the horny hat? He wore the Viking hat, painted his face, was walking around, and he was given nearly four years in prison as a result of his stroll through Congress. And most Americans didn't know what we now know today about the QAnon shaman. And most of America that was listening, watching J6 and reading the newspapers about this, oh my God, this guy led the insurrection. Look at his hat. He's got a painted face. He led the insurrection. Not quite so. So this guy was given four years, and then Tucker Carlson comes out with a video of him strolling through Congress like it was a stroll in the park. He didn't look violent. He did not look like he was trying to overthrow the government. As a matter of fact, he had escorts. He had a couple of cops escorting him through the halls, trying to open doors for him. He walked past seven or eight police officers without not one of the police officers trying to detain him or try to arrest him. These seven or eight police officers were just watching him go by. And eventually he wound up in the Senate. And I guess he made a speech and, you know, made some kind of prayer or whatever. Oh, and before I forget, there's a rumor that's going around that nobody really knows how this guy got into the 
uh, into the, the halls of Congress. Now, I just heard a rumor that he was let in by a photographer that wanted to take a picture of him either inside the halls or inside the Senate. So how dangerous could this guy be? But according to the media and according to our judicial system, this guy led the insurrection. He was one of the leaders of the insurrection, and he got nearly four years in prison for this. And when we take a look at Tucker Carlson's videos. This guy doesn't seem dangerous. Poor guy was probably set up. And now his, uh, his attorney is out there saying, hey, wait a second. Why wasn't I given an opportunity to show this during the court proceedings for my client? This clearly is mitigating evidence that maybe my client shouldn't have, been, uh, shouldn't have gotten for nearly four years in prison for taking a stroll through Congress. And again, the Democrats, the Uniparty down there is up in arms about Tucker's release of information. Release of the truth. This is what America is all about. America is about you release all the evidence, not just the evidence that you want presented. Now, what I really think is even more disgusting is the tapes that Tucker released on Brian Sicknick. Brian Sicknick was a Capitol policeman who died the next day from, I believe, a stroke or a heart attack. But the press was trying to make it out that Sicknick died as a result of fighting with all the, all the rioters, all the insurrectionists. And I'm going to play a couple of clips here to refresh all of our memories. Remember, right after J6, the media was out there saying, oh, all these people died as a result of the riot. And just a reminder, the only people that died on the day of the riot were two of the protesters, Ashley Babbitt, who was murdered by a Capitol Police officer, and another woman, her last name was Boylan, I forgot what her first name is, who was bashed by a baton held by a Capitol Police officer while she was on the ground being trampled by people. And then I heard whose body was dragged by a Capitol Police officer or officers along the Capitol grounds after she had passed away. No one else, no cops died, no horses died. It was two of the protesters that died. So again, let's get back and refresh our memory about what they were saying about particularly Sicknick in this. So let's go to the clip and we'll come back and discuss. Overnight, a U.S. Capitol Police officer died from injuries he suffered when a mob of President Trump's supporters stormed the Capitol. 42-year-old Brian Sicknick is now the fifth death connected to Wednesday's violence. And Wednesday evening, 42-year-old police officer Brian Sicknick succumbing to injuries sustained in the battle. That making five deaths now linked to the insurrection on America's symbol of democracy. Of the crisis at the Capitol and another death resulting from Wednesday's violent assault. Overnight, we learned a U.S. Capitol police officer has died of injuries suffered during the rioting. Let me begin by expressing my deep sympathy for the family of uh, Capitol officer um, uh, Sicknick, who uh, has died in the line of duty. Our sympathies and our concerns go out for, to his family. And the people responsible should be held accountable. And they will be. So all these reports from the media, all these speeches from the politicians about J6 were just not true. And it took Tucker Carlson's videos to show this. 
Tucker's video show Sicknick walking around the hallways of Congress, guiding people to certain areas, picking things up off the floor. He wasn't beat up. He wasn't bashed in the head by a fire extinguisher, as was purported by the press. He looked in pretty good health from the camera angles. And again, this the, the video that Tucker showed was after the supposed rioters rioted. So again, this is an entire narrative that's falling apart for the Uniparty and the media. Because this is central to the J6 hearing narrative and Tucker Carlson's videos just blow this apart. And I just want to go to another video. It's Chuck Schumer. A lot of you may have already heard from Chuck Schumer about this. He went into the, the well of the Senate and demanded that Fox News not release the truth. And this is what we're dealing with. Chuck Schumer, the Uniparty, they don't care about you. They don't care about me. They care about themselves and protecting their own narrative. Their own little thing that they got in Washington. They're going to protect that to the nth degree. So let's go to this clip and then we'll come back and discuss. And he's going to come back tonight with another segment. Fox News should tell him not to. Fox News, Rupert Murdoch, tell Carlson not to run a second segment of lies. I urge Fox News to order Carlson to cease propagating the big lie on his network. Schumer thinks this is Cuba. Schumer thinks that he can order a network to shut down news, shut down the truth. All because it interrupts the deep state's narrative. And the funny thing about this is that Schumer doesn't even care because this is what he's all about. Suppressing information, suppressing the truth, and letting the American people decide on what the truth is. Not him. Not Rupert Murdoch. But the American people. Now, there's a rumor going around that Tucker got called to the principal's office and he had a talk with Murdoch and they put some pressure on him not to continue with these, uh, uh, continue with any more uh, videos about J6. And uh, I, look, I, I don't know if it's true or not, but what I think should happen is I think this, uh, these videos and this footage should be uh, sent out to different uh, media sites and wh whoever wants it. And there's got to be a process where they can get it because um, a lot of footage can be doctored and you don't want any of this footage to be doctored by anyone. So there's got to be a process. Uh, let McCarthy send this footage out and uh, you know let the, let the people make the decision. This is America. Centralized governments do not make decisions for the country. We do. And just a couple of items I want to talk about. One is the, uh, we still have those J6 prisoners. Now, some of them did some things that weren't right. Some of them smashed windows. Some of them sure bumped up against cops and shoved a cop. And uh, um, that's not right. But they've paid their price. They should not be in prison. And Donald Trump hit it right on the head. These people should be pardoned. Because this is America. This is not. The Soviet Union, this is not East Germany, this is not Cuba, this is not what we do to our citizens. They are afforded due process 
and they are afforded a quick trial. And that's not happening with them right now. And the other thing I just thought was interesting is that four of the Capitol Police officers committed suicide. You know, I don't believe in conspiracies, but what are the probabilities of this happening? And maybe down the road we'll find what the truth is about this. So we shall see. Now, another bombshell that came out this week is Dr. Redfield, the former CDC director, the CDC director under Donald Trump, testified this week that the coronavirus likely emanated from a lab leak. The virus was man-made via gain-of-function research, and Fauci funded this research at the Wuhan lab via grants from the NIH while he was telling Congress that he wasn't. And aren't you so glad that the Republicans have taken over the House? We would never have had these hearings. Redfield would never have been testifying if the Republicans did not take over the House of Representatives. Let me play a couple of clips from Redfield and his testimony. It was very disconcerting to me. It looked like this virus was engineered. Dr. Redfield, I want to stick with you. You you have said before that you were locked out of conversations about the lab leak by Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins. Do you think they kept you out of the conversations because you believe COVID-19 may have come from a lab? Yeah, I think I made it very clear in January to all of them why we had to aggressively pursue this, and I let them know as a virologist that I didn't see that this was anything like SARS or MERS because they never learned how to transmit human to human, that I felt this virus was too infectious for humans. I think, you know, we had to really uh, seriously go after the fact it came from the lab, and they knew that that was how I was thinking, although I thought we had to go after both hypotheses, and I was told later... I didn't know I was excluded. I didn't know there was a February 1st conference call until the Freedom of Information came out with the emails, and I was quite upset as the CDC director that I was excluded from those discussions. Why would they do this? Because I had a different point of view, and I was told they made a decision that they would keep this confidential until they came up with a single narrative, which I will argue is antithetical to science. Science never selects a single narrative. We foster, as my colleague here just said, we foster debate. Mm -hmm. And we're confident that with debate, science will eventually get to the truth. This was an a priori decision that there's one point of view that we're going to put out there, and anyone who doesn't agree with it is going to be sidelined. And as I say, I was only the CDC director, and I was sidelined. One thing I don't know if you picked up, Redfield says that having one narrative, particularly so early on about anything, is anti-science. And I've been saying all along is that the types of Fauci and the Walensky's, they're all political sciences, and I'm not going to forget Burke. These are all political scientists. They politicize science. They politicize medicine. And Redfield was kept out of meetings. Fauci and Collins, the head of the NIH, had meetings that excluded the head of the CDC. So the two of them can come up with a narrative, a narrative, a story. That's what you want from your scientists, a story? And Redfield just exposes this. Fauci, Collins, 
The medical profession today is anti-science. It's about the politicization of medicine and science. Now, the following clip I'm going to play just really sticks a knife in the heart of Anthony Fauci. And it has to do with funding the Wuhan lab for gain-of-function research. Now, again, gain-of-function, essentially, you're just amping up a virus artificially to study it better. So they, that's what the scientists say. The military loves gain-of-function because you can make a biological weapon. Because an amped-up virus makes it spread much easier, makes it more deadly. Now, just a note, the Obama administration had banned gain-of-function research because it's very dangerous. You amp up a, a virus and it gets released, you have coronavirus. So the Obama administration banned it in the United States. So what does Fauci do? He subcontracts the research out to the Wuhan lab and other places, I'm sure, too. Maybe Ukraine. Just saying. But Fauci, for the longest time, has been denying the fact that the United States was funding the Wuhan lab for gain-of-function research. And you got to understand also with the, uh, the lab, the Wuhan lab in China is it's essentially a wing of the Chinese military. Whatever the Wuhan lab does, the Chinese military has complete access to it. They can use it. They can take the technology, use it for weapons or whatever. So let me just play this clip. And Redfield asked directly, did the United States fund the Wuhan lab and did the United States fund gain-of-function research? Do you think that Dr. Fauci intentionally lied under oath to Senator Paul when he vehemently denied NIH's funding of -of gain-of-function research? I think there's no doubt that NIH was funding gain-of-function research. Is it likely that American tax dollars funded the gain-of-function research that created this virus? I think it did, not only from NIH, but from the State Department, USAID, and from DOD. I'm out of time. Thank you very much. So I guess the next step is to bring Anthony Fauci before the hearing. And we'll see what he does. Is he going to ignore the subpoena? Or will he come voluntarily? And if he doesn't, will they subpoena him? And will he ignore the subpoena? We'll see. I think, I think uh, Fauci's arrogant enough just to show up. He thinks he uh, can talk his way through anything. He's so arrogant. But I think the jig's up on it for him. So we shall see. And with that said, I want to turn to this week's meeting with the Fed chairman, Jay Powell, and the Senate, and then the House of Representatives. And uh, I'll tell you, it's not just Powell's fault. It's everybody's fault that was involved financially with making decisions for the country since 2008. We are now at the point where in order to beat inflation, we've got to create a recession and lay off a bunch of people. Now, and I'm going to play a couple of clips, but that that's where we are right now. It's choose your poison. Do we want to have high inflation and people employed? Or do we want to have lower inflation and people unemployed? Because essentially, the only choice that Powell has right now is to create a recession. 
Now, look, I already think we're in the recession. We've already technically had a recession in the first two quarters of 2022. But then you get these so-called cute institution people saying, oh, it's not really in a recession. We don't know we're in the recession. We don't know what. They don't know anything. But here's what we know. We know that continued higher rates is going to result in a recession according to them. And that will trigger layoffs. And we can thank all the decisions made since 2008 for this. So let's go to the first clip. It's with um, Senator Kennedy. And then we'll do another clip with Senator Warren. I can't believe it. I'm going to play a clip of Senator Warren. All right, let's go to the first clip. You're raising interest rates. You're raising interest rates to slow the economy, are you not? Yes, to cool the economy off. Um, And one of the ways you measure your success, other than fluctuation in gross domestic product, is the unemployment rate. Is it not? Yes, one of the measures. Okay. So in effect, I'm not being critical. When you're slowing the economy, you're trying to put people out of work. That's your job, is it not? Not really. We're trying to we're trying to restore price stability. No, um, you're trying you're trying to raise not, not the wages. Un, you're trying to raise the unemployment rate. There are and, lo- and so there that are a lot me, of that mean I know you don't like the phrase, so let me strike it. You're trying to raise the unemployment rate, are you not? No, we're not trying to raise it. We're trying to realign supply and demand, which could happen through a bunch of channels, like for example, uh, you know, just job openings. All job right, let openings. Me, let could, me put it another way, okay? Well, Chairman Powell is just doing his job. Look, President Biden persists in saying that my words, not his, uh, uh, a honey bun costs 20 bucks and your 401k is crashing because the economy is so good. No, No one believes that because it's not true and the American people aren't stupid. President Biden's inflation is pernicious. It is a cancer on the American dream. And we're not going to get it down without costing millions of people their jobs unless Congress helps on the fiscal side by reducing the rate of growth of spending and reducing the rate of growth of debt accumulation. And Jay Powell knows that. He can't say it. And anyone who knows a, an economic economics textbook from an L.L. Bean catalog right. knows that. All right. Now, what Kennedy is additionally saying is that you can mitigate inflation, not only with higher interest rates, but cutting back on government spending, which under Biden has gone through the roof. But the people surrounding Biden, they couldn't care less about it. They just want to spend, spend, spend. So with that said, I just want to bring in a clip. Uh, Senator Warren also essentially saying the same thing that Kennedy is saying, believe it or not, but just from her left-wing perspective. So let's go to her clip, and then we'll come back and discuss. According to the Fed's own report, if you continue raising interest rates as you plan, unemployment will be 4.6% by the end of the year, more than a full point higher than it is today. Chair Powell, if you hit your projections, do you know how many people who are currently working, going about their lives, will lose their jobs? I don't... uh 
I don't have that number in front of me. I will say it's, it's not, it's it's not just an intended consequence. It's well, not, but it is, and it's in your report, and that would be about 2 million people who would lose their jobs, people who are working right now making their mortgages. So, Chair Powell, if you could speak directly to the 2 million hardworking people who have decent jobs today, who you're planning to get fired over the next year, what would you say to them? How would you explain your view that they need to lose their jobs? I would explain to people more broadly that that inflation is extremely high and it's hurting the working people of this country badly, all of them, not just two million of them, but all of them are suffering under high inflation and we are taking the, the only measures we have to bring inflation down. And putting two million people out of work is just part of the cost and they just have to bear it? Will, they, will, will working people be better off if, if we just walk away from our jobs and, and inflation remains 5 6%? Oh, boy, I can't believe it. I'm agreeing with Senator Warren. Um, and both Kennedy and Warren, they've come to the same conclusion. Now, if you ask Senator Warren how she wants to respond to people getting laid off, she wants more government spending versus Kennedy who wants less government spending in order to deal with this problem. So that's what we have. And it's going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out. But what's not helping is, uh, I guess, Biden introduced a budget this week. And it's nearly a nearly $7 trillion budget. And how is that supposed to calm inflation? Well, it's not. And what really gets me, and and this is how disingenuous all of these CNBCs, all these uh, left-wing so-called financial media are. I read an article, I think it was CNBC, and it says, oh, Biden introduced a budget that's going to reduce debt by $3 trillion. Well, it's not. Over a 10-year period, this budget is going to increase debt by, I think, at least $12 trillion. Now, they get cute because what they're essentially saying is that Biden wants to raise taxes and because those taxes that uh, are implemented. Oh, and by the way, Biden wants to implement a tax on billionaires. And quite frankly, I don't have an issue with that. If we want to tax billionaires, these woke billionaires, let's lay a tax on them. But anyway, I digress. So anyway, what they're saying is that uh, Biden says with, uh, oh, because they're raising taxes, it's going to reduce the debt by $3 trillion. But if you take st- a step back and look at the entire budget, it's going to increase debt by at least $12 trillion. And this is all fuzzy government math. They never give you the net. They only give you, oh, the the uh, the, the, the the taxes we raise are going to be able to re- reduce the debt by $3 trillion. But they don't tell you on the spending side, the spending is going to increase the debt by $17 trillion, approximately. And CNBCs and these Bloombergs are all on board with this, misleading the American people. Just tell the truth, because it's not helping the country. Now, let me give you a little insight on how this debt ceiling battle between the White House and the Republicans could play out as it relates to inflation. And essentially, you know, what the debt ceiling is, is that there's a law out there that says, you know, government can spend, 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 but you've got debt caps. You've got a certain amount of debt that you can incur. 
and it has to be any increase in the amount of debt has to be approved by Congress. So right now we've essentially hit our debt or we'll hit it around June. And if we don't increase it, that means that Treasury has to cut back another spending in order to pay their debt. Now, Janice Yellen has come out and she said an interesting thing. And this is what scares me. She came out and says, well, if we don't pay our other bills, that's the equivalent of defaulting on our debt. So if we don't pay salaries, if we don't pay our vendors, that's just like defaulting on our debt, which is absolutely bizarre. And it leads me to believe that the White House and Yellen have on the table the fact that they just won't pay the debt and throw the country into a recession and then attempt to blame it on the Republicans politically. And the Republicans are trying to counter that because they, uh, they're working on some legislation that's going to pr- prioritize payments in the event that, that if, if there is an impasse on debt ceiling negotiations. We don't increase the debt ceiling. You're going to prioritize your payments. Your priority is going to be paying off our debt and paying Social Security benefits. Because the game that the Democrats may play and Yellen may play is not to pay the debt and then create chaos and then blame it on the Republicans. Because like I said, there's a ton of money that is coming in and a ton of money that is always coming in to the Treasury coffers that allow them to pay our outstanding debt. Now, they may have to lay off some people in order to pay the debt and pay Social Security. They may have to wind up cutting back on what they pay foreign countries in aid. But if Yellen makes a decision to say, oh, I'm going to pay foreign countries instead of paying off our debt, that's a self-inflicted wound by the Democrats. And they'll try to politically blame it on the Republicans. And meanwhile, you get your recession and you get your inflation down. Now, with the political yahoos that are in the White House right now, I'm sure they're contemplating that option. It's an absolutely stupid option. But that's par for the course with what we have right now. So essentially what they'll do is don't pay the debt, pay everything else, cause the recession or worse, and we've got our inflation covered. We don't have to worry about hiking interest rates. Well, you have to worry about a recession and layoffs. But then if they make the calculation that they can blame the Republicans, they may do this. Now, I don't think they'll get away with it. Because I think the public perception has shifted toward the Republicans on this whole debt ceiling issue. But that's quite a possibility with these Democrats in office right now. Because they are nihilists. They have no issues with going to war with Russia, creating a nuclear war with Russia. Because in their mind, if they're losing, their whole reset, the reset that Klaus Schwab always talks about, will be World War III and nuclear war. That's their reset for you if they can't get what they want. It's a dangerous game they're playing. But again, these are the nihilists. They don't care about you or me. They care about themselves. So we shall see. Remember how I always said that the problem with today's markets and a lot of other things too is that everything's great until it's not. And today we had a surprise Silicon Valley Bank was taken over 
by regulators today because there was a run on the bank. Now, Silicon Valley Bank is, I think, in the top 20 largest banks in the United States. It's got about $200 billion in assets, and about $40 billion will be covered by the FDIC, that each account is, is guaranteed up to or protected up to $250,000 per account. But it clearly doesn't cover all the accounts. So there's $160 billion of uninsured assets they have. That's huge. Absolutely huge. And this happened all of a sudden. This came out of the blue. I think we caught wind of it on a couple days ago. And then today, the regulators took over the bank. There was a run on the bank. And it all comes down to that this bank didn't manage their bond portfolio. Think about it. Basics, the basics. And, and, and this is why there are not really bright people in a lot of banking and a lot of these institutions. Last year was a terrible year for the bond market. And this bank failed to respond to their risk in the bond market and lost a lot of money. And here's two things that worry me. One, could this be a driver of an oncoming fiscal crisis similar to 2008? Now, I was right on the front lines in 2008. And, well, let me take you back to 2008. And I remember that the 2008 crisis was brought on by the collapse of the CMOs, collateralized mortgage obligations. And there were a lot of bad mortgages in these obligations in the sense that they people were issuing mortgages to people that couldn't pay for them. And people kept on uh, giving mortgages out to people that couldn't pay for them. And Wall Street kept on buying them, reselling them. And eventually it collapsed. When it first started happening, everybody was saying, oh, well, there'll be no contagion. It won't, it won't trickle into other areas of the, in our financial institutions. But it did. And I'm not trying to scare anybody right now, but could this collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank be another generator of a a current financial crisis that's looming but could this be the straw that broke the camel's back the other thing i worry about is another bailout they've got 160 billion dollars in uninsured assets and i'm worried about the owners of this bank and the owners and the people that have money deposited in this bank that are that is uninsured they're going to be, use their leverage because remember, this is Silicon Valley. This is where all the high tech people live, all the high tech companies are. Are they going to get on the phone to their local congressmen? Say, you got to bail me out. You got to bail me out. Or are they going to call the White House or some bureaucrat? Oh, we got to get bailed out here. We're too important to the industry out here. If we collapse, everybody else will collapse. No more bailouts. Because your money and my money, and the heck with them if they can't manage their bond portfolio and ask us to pay for it because they're well-connected. So we shall see. Now, one thing I just wanted to talk about is the Department of Justice has filed charges against a gentleman called Doug Mackey. And he was active on Twitter under the pseudonym Ricky Vaughn in 2016. And he's being charged for posting a meme that, and it was a sarcastic meme, 
that told people that they didn't have to go to the voting booth if they wanted to vote for Hillary Clinton. All they did was have to text the name Hillary to a certain phone number and it would count. And the Department of Justice is charging him for taking away people's right to vote. Even though they can't find anybody, they actually texted Hillary's name to that phone number. So let me just go to a clip. And this is from Steve Bannon's show, The War Room, and uh, Darren Beatty from Revolver. Frame this better than I can right now. So let's let's go to the clip and then we'll come back. Uh, is a guy that's done memes on Hillary Clinton. I think this came from a couple of years ago in the 16 campaign. He's yeah. facing 10 years in prison. No, I mean, I wish we had more time because this really is the most important story. It's the most important First Amendment story you never heard of. And just in a nutshell, a young man called Douglas Mackey, who was allegedly operating with a pseudonymous Twitter account called Ricky Vaughn, named after the major league character, this um, account, and it dabbled in memes, some hilarious, some controversial some both hilarious and controversial. And among those memes, there's sort of a meme format in existence, kind of implicitly mocking the intelligence of Hillary and Hillary supporters. And so one of his meme was, oh, you know, if you want to vote, just text Hillary to this number, you know, with the suggestion that Hillary supporters are so dumb, they're the types of people who would believe this. It was clearly satirical in nature and had a satirical format, the government that's trying to throw this guy in jail for 10 years has not been able to produce a single example of somebody who didn't vote as a result of this meme. And they're resurrecting this statute that was designed, you know, the statute is designed to prevent the Ku Klux Klan from intimidating voters from going to the polls. And they're saying that Sat meme satire on Twitter is equivalent to that. Um, it's a deeply disturbing case. And what it amounts to is the Biden regime trying to codify the disinformation scam into our criminal law. And as Biddy said, what's really scary about this is they're, they're trying to sneak in disinformation, misinformation, as defined by the federal government, into our criminal law. And that's what they're trying to do with this case. Now, there are reports that the Ricky Vaughn Twitter site reposted anti-Semitic memes or anti-Semitic tropes. But that's not what he's being charged here with. He's being charged here with simply, quote, misinformation about the 2016 election. And that's what's dangerous about this. It's not about him being an anti-Semite, and I'm not sure if he is. I haven't seen anything that he's reposted, but there are reports that he has done this. But it's about his First Amendment right to put a meme up against Hillary Clinton and the federal government trying to sneak in to our criminal laws misinformation as defined by the federal government, by them. So we shall see on this. And in keeping this in mind, I want to go to a clip by Matt Taibbi. Now, Matt Taibbi is a liberal journalist, not a right-wing journalist. He's a liberal journalist. And he testified this week at the weaponization of government hearing. 
And I just wanted to go to the clip and let him, a liberal, tell you what he thinks about government and NGOs trying to suppress free speech. So let's go to the clip. This is a grave threat to people of all political persuasions. Uh, the First Amendment and an American population accustomed to the right to speak is the best defense left against the censorship industrial complex. If the latter can knock over our first and most important constitutional guarantee, these groups will have no serious opponent left anywhere. If there's anything the Twitter files show, it's that we're in danger of losing this most precious right without which all democratic rights are impossible. And on a personal note, I just want to talk a few minutes about my Aunt Rita, who passed away several weeks ago. And... She had a wonderful career. She was a perfumist, and she had a natural ability for some reason. My mother always says that people are given gifts by God, and uh, my Aunt Rita had this wonderful gift to create scents and uh, to create perfume, and uh, she pursued it. And I don't know how she got into the industry or how uh, the people in the industry found out that she had this wonderful ability to create perfume. And she took that, and she made a wonderful career for herself. And this was 50 or 60 years ago when she started. And she worked her way up the corporate ladder, but she did hit a glass ceiling. And for all these fragrance companies that she worked for, she clearly had the capacity to run these companies. She had a great demeanor, just a great demeanor that would have been a great CEO for these companies. But there was a glass ceiling 50 or 60 years ago, and she hit it. And, you know, I give her a lot of credit for just pursuing her career, pursuing and using the gifts that God gave her into a wonderful life. But again, she hit the glass ceiling. This is not happening today. You know, women have wonderful opportunities. And I would make a case they have the same opportunities that men have today. There are more women in college than men. And these statistics by these activists that say that women don't make as much as men, they're all skewed. I think if you really look at the numbers that men today, not years ago, today, make marginally more money than women. But again, that wasn't the case when my aunt worked. There was a glass ceiling. And, you know, I've talked to her about it and she she didn't feel sorry for herself. She just said, you know, it is what it is. But And she made the best of it, which she did. She had a wonderful life. She had a wonderful husband. She has a wonderful daughter. She had a wonderful family. She's got great sisters. And she created it all on her own. She didn't start with lots of money. She came from regular background. But you look at, you know, but you look at, you take her and you put her in today's environment without a glass ceiling. She would be CEO of some fragrance company. But that never bothered her. She was happy with her family. She was happy with her friends. And she was happy with my Uncle Tom. But we're going to miss her. And with that said, you have a good week. And I will talk to you next Saturday.